You are listening to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer, Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties. Welcome back to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This is episode 36. Hopefully you're already following us on social media. A lot of people are not aware about the YouTube page. The Gay Florida Man podcast has its own YouTube page, and there's lots of videos and things that we talk about on the podcast on the YouTube page. One of the people that is actually a regular guest on the podcast did not know about the YouTube page, so please check that out. A lot of interesting stuff to actually visually see. Today, we're going to be talking about the unsung heroes of corrections. Now, the definition of a hero is a person who is admired or idealized for courage, outstanding achievements, or noble qualities. Of course, there's the other term hero, which refers to like a submarine sandwich. And for those corrections people, get your mind away from food for one second, and let's talk about the unsung heroes that we work with shoulder to shoulder every day. Now, one thing I need to say that's very important before we do this podcast is that this list is very subjective. John is going to be joining me, Officer Johnny, and a lot of the people that we talk about are people that we knew or that we worked with. But honestly, everybody that goes through the doors of the prison every single day, every shift, is an unsung hero in one regards or another. Now, one person I want to dedicate this podcast to is a former officer and a very close friend who passed away, and his name is Tony Kishelis. And Tony was definitely, without a doubt, the definition of an unsung hero. He did a lot of time in the prison, and he was absolutely a blast to work with. He had a great sense of humor. He dealt with inmates in just the most remarkable fashion. He was just so unique in the way he handled inmates. He did not talk down to them. He only would handle them in a maybe a strong way as if they, you know, told him he was a cunt or, you know, that he raped his mother or something. And then he would respond accordingly. The guy was just an amazing fucking individual. And he left this earth way too soon. I had the pleasure of working with him for so many years, and I spent many Christmases with him, many Thanksgivings with him. I consider him a family member more so than a friend. He lost his wife earlier in the year before he passed away. I have to say, he's more than just the unsung hero co-worker. He is a hero in my book because the guy had the biggest heart of anybody I've ever met. So wherever you are, Tony, this podcast tonight is for you. So coming back to the podcast to talk about the unsung heroes of corrections. And when I say the unsung heroes of corrections, we are talking today specifically about the prison because I know adult probation and parole and the halfway houses, they have their own set of people that are amazing. 
So right now, um, welcome back to the podcast, Officer Johnny. Mark, how you doing? I'm glad to have you back. We're talking about the heroes. We've been talking about this for months. It's great to be back. I'm loving the podcast, just so you know. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. It's fun. The one with the inmate, that was really good. It was eye-opening. Very, very cool guy. And I tell you, it's amazing that he has turned his life around because, you know, his original crime, that shit's pretty serious. And he did federal time and state time. Yeah. But, but the fact that he turned his life around and he's got kids and he's focused on his family, amazing guy. It's yeah, when very... I first heard you were doing that, I kind of, my first reaction was like, he's nuts, but that was one of my favorite podcasts. And the other one you had with Vaughn with APMP, I really enjoyed that one too. Yeah, it kind of gives you insight because when you work in the prison for a career, you don't get a whole lot of insight. I mean, you hear things and of course you see emails and you have in-service training. I think that was a little bit more of an eye-opener, a little more in-depth so you can kind of understand what their job is and what they deal with and, on a regular yep. basis and, and that's exactly i was a little bit like wow so i i saw the guy working overtime all the time and he was explaining to me what he was doing you know he's going to need the computer for a while but i didn't realize he was juggling so much i had heard but i didn't realize they were juggling so much to stay on top of their caseloads and stuff the fact that he was able to navigate that and then also do work with the union and represent the officers yeah. that had to take on the administration. What an amazing guy. If we were, if we were not just talking about prison unsung heroes, we would definitely have to talk about Vaughn because the yeah. guy's amazing. I agree. I think he's a class act. And he definitely put his family, I wouldn't say on hold, but he definitely took that priority and, and was taking care of officers and fighting the administration with the union and definitely kind of like put his priorities of where he could have advanced to. And he had talked about that in the podcast that he probably could have gone further and maybe should have like stepped away from the union a little bit sooner, but he didn't. I'm very thankful for that because the guy's amazing. Yeah. And he really helped a lot of officers. He so. did. Yep. Great dude. So today we're talking about um, the unsung heroes of corrections, uh, the prison, and I'm going to start out this list and I'm going to talk about two individuals that were role models that everybody looked up to. They were the very definition of integrity. They never did anything wrong. They were just absolutely fucking amazing. Everybody looked up to them. And I'm sure at some point there will be statues of these two individuals put out <laughs> at the new prison. And that is Sergeant Mark DeWolf and Officer Johnny Reed, uh, Captain Johnny Reed. God, those people, I mean, can you think of any, any more of a clear representation of integrity? I'm thinking of the Lord of the Rings towers across the gates. At the yes. Yep. There you go. <laughs> and now, in all seriousness, I don't see myself as an unsung hero, but I do see John that you're definitely an unsung hero. But I think that you also, the department did recognize your value and how much you contributed in your years of service because you did a lot with your career, a lot, I a did. lot more so than I did. I went to a different parts of the department for sure. I never did make it to APMP, but and you're one of my heroes, Mark, and I mean that. One of the things that you taught me was how to have fun, but then you can be professional at the same time when you need to be. And then well, the other thing you taught me was um, you told me one time the story of where you do not like regret. 
Right. And I kind of adopted that. I wanted to go to the uh, one of the Comic Cons or something to meet Lou Ferrigno. Mm -hmm. And you were like, hey, Lou Ferrigno is going to be here. And I was like, ah, I don't know. Maybe I should go. And you were like, you told me that your story about regret. And I was like, yeah, he's right. I'm going to regret it if I don't go. You had a great experience with Lou. I did. I, I didn't get to tell him my whole story because it was kind of like, okay, get the picture and get out. But yeah, that guy was the original Hulk and the Hulk was deaf. And I grew up hearing impaired. And so mm -hmm. when that show came out and I learned that he was um, deaf, it kind of taught me that, hey, there's things I can do. If he can do it, I can do it kind of thing. And that's Absolutely. what no did to me. You taught me. Had I not gone to that, I would have regretted. I absolutely stand behind that whole conversation that we had about regret because, you know, even when I try really, I try a lot not to have regret and I do regret never having sex with you for as long as I've known you. <laughs> and so I left Utah never having gotten you into bed, but uh, that's one regret. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, 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 try I play a little too hard to get. For you, is that oh, it? God, it just it just really <laughs> drove me crazy. Since we're on this subject, the first person that I'm going to talk about on the people that are the unsung heroes of corrections, I'm going to start it off by talking about Travis Knorr's ass. Anybody sure. that knows Travis Knorr, and I worked with him going back to '97, <laughs> that guy had an ass that wouldn't quit, John. I swear to God. A lot of times, I would have to go into the control room just because it was mirrored. So that Travis couldn't see me drooling. I must have been looking at Travis in a different light than you, because I honestly didn't mm. know that. I don't know how many hours a day that guy did on the Stairmaster, but those cakes were unfucking believable. They weren't real. Uh, no, they. I'm telling you, I, it was it was so hard not to reach out and just slap him like the coach does with the football team, you know, when you go out to play the next game. <laughs> You're gonna have to have him on the podcast. I will. I will. And the thing is, is, is I talk with Travis. Exercise program here. <laughs> I will tell you that honestly, I've talked with Travis, and he is a really good sport about the whole thing. And he is very proud of his butt. I know it's come up in conversation. Other people have told him, like, God, man, you have really got some badunkadunks. I mean, those are amazing. How did but, I not notice all this? <laughs> I, I will say this, though, is Travis Nord does have to be on the list of unsung heroes because he really... I, I agree with that, yeah. He's such an amazing personality. He gets along with everybody. He just knows how to handle inmates and knows how to de-escalate and knows how to talk to people. Yeah. Whether it was staff or with the uh, the inmate population, the guy just knew how to do it. He has a way of making you look at things from a different point of view. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't take anything personal. He goes to work, does his job, go home. Does he still work out there? Uh, last I had heard, he was over um, training. Perfect place for him because when yeah. you have new people coming in and they're intimidated and they're scared and you have a personality like Nor, that's the guy that you want to be working with the new recruits. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. Sure. Yeah, I great. learned a lot from him in maximum security. My list is in no apparent order. I, I'm not going down the list like, well, I think this person's number one, this person's number two. I'm just jumping around. So just so you're aware, John. Okay. Mine's the same way. Yep. Okay. Who would be your entry? I got to talk about Hardcastle. The guy, <laughs> the guy is just one of the best. And I had the opportunity to do my field training officer duties under Hardcastle. And I started in maximum security with the death row and everything. And that guy... He not only taught you 
what to do, but he taught you why you're doing it. Does that make sense? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, policy says this, but why are you doing it? And that, that was another thing that uh, I worked with at the same time was Cook was the same way at the same mm -hmm. time with Hardcastle. But Hardcastle just had this way of just being a leader without really realizing you're, he's leading, if that makes sense. The way he dealt with inmates, he was such a great de-escalator. There was a time where we had a, it was an inmate that we always had to deal with because he was harming himself inside the his cell and we'd have to take him out and you couldn't get him out. We'd end up having to try and force sell him. And I remember at this one time we got to his door and his cell and Hardcastle, the, the inmate is just going off on us like mad. He, he is spitting, <laughs> screaming, yelling, throwing feces. Hardcastle just right off the bat goes, how does my shirt look? And he's looking <laughs> down and he's straightening out his shirt and his collar. This is a time I really don't know the guy that well. You know, he's a sergeant. I'm thinking, what the hell? And the inmate was thinking the same thing. He's like, no, you you look really good. And Hardcastle's like, well, are you sure? The inmate instantly calmed down. It's like, no, you look really good. And he's like, are you sure? Because I feel like I bought an irregular or something. And he's tugging on the scars and everything. Next thing I know, he's got the inmate in handcuffs. We're walking him out. They're discussing his uniform. It's crazy. You know, Hardcastle's one of those guys that is mellow. He does the job. He goes through the routine. There's a lot of days that are just monotonous and boring. But when the shit hits the fan and it's time to act, yes. and you have to yeah. bring your A game, Hardcastle can jump into that mode without any hesitation, and he handles it so professionally. Yeah. Yep. If, there was a, if there was a use of force, a suicide attempt, any type of fight, the person you want working would be Hardcastle. I totally agree. Yep. You know that it's going to be covered by policy. He's going to make sure staff are safe, and he's going to do everything to de-escalate the situation without any use of force. Yep. If yeah. you have to do it, you have to do it, but he's going to try to get every angle before you have to go hands-on with somebody. Yeah. When I went in, it was the late 90s. In the 80s, maximum security prisons were considered super max. If you watch any of the documentaries and stuff from the 80s to the early 90s, they were super max. And, every, and everyone had the mentality of we're going to lock these people up and throw away the key and they're never going to see daylight. You, you hear those kind of things. When I got hired on, it was at that time where they were changing that mentality. People were learning like, Okay, we lock this guy up. He never sees daylight, never sees a way out. And then you have to let him out. There comes a point where he has to get out. He's crazier than he was when he went in. <laughs> there was this mentality of this needs to change. And they were looking for people to help with that culture change of no longer super max, but make it more programmable and stuff. Sure. Hardcastle was part of that. The perfect match for it, too. Just the way that his perspective on how he looks at things. Where most people are sitting down between incidents, bullshit and talking about movies, sports, whatever. Hardcastle is that guy that's walking around the building looking at security flaws. Yes. And yep. where there's imperfections and how 
the system is run. We all know about the audit at Olympus. We were both involved with that, John. Where he found a vulnerability uh, of, there were a few vulnerabilities in there, but the result was he was able to escape off of the front of the building, off the top of the roof. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. In front of the director. There's a risk there because of a lot of egos and you have certain security audits done by certain individuals that clearly did not see this gap in the security. Yes. And Hardcastle recognized it, addressed it, handled it. And there was a lot of people very upset with him because there, he made there them look were, There was. Ultimately, it resulted in the double fences yeah. of the whole prison, not just that building. As it should have been in the beginning. As it should have been in the in the beginning. And when I was the transition captain for the new prison, guess what I learned from Mark Castle? I, I learned that we need double fences. Absolutely. And so the new prison is built the same way. And that was that guy. Great dude. A hundred percent hard castle, amazing person. And you know, if you if you meet him, he's like your neighbor. He's the nicest guy in the world. Oh, yeah, he's now, he's family to me. Did you watch the China buffet that's on the uh, the social media <laughs> on the YouTube page? Yes. Yeah. Did you see the hard the part with yeah. hard castle? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta get on the YouTube page for the Gay Florida Man podcast. The China Buffet is broken up into like six or seven parts. Hardcastle's in that movie. I will just say it has to do with a uh, date with a whole bunch of different inflatable <laughs> bounce house stuff and games. Look for him because he did a great job. His energy level was 100% Hardcastle. No, uh, yeah. Yep. Check that out. Another quality that you he can be the most professional person you've ever seen. And then like you, he can be one of the biggest goof-offs you've ever met in your life. <laughs> there, there was a time I was doing, this was the middle of the night. It was a two o'clock count. You know how tired you are when you're going around with the clipboard. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm, tired. I'm walking through, I go into one of the sections and right next to the section doors, our garbage cans and i open that door and hardcastle jumps out of that garbage can <laughs> like that scared the i'm pretty sure i saw some of my dead relatives when he did that to me oh yeah come on home john come on home <laughs> yeah. your heart was on the verge of stopping oh my god that dude was a goof up amazing person the next person I'm going to bring up is Lieutenant Dale Whitney, or as he refers to himself on social media, is Wit. This guy is, um, he was my TAC officer. Oh, okay. Yeah, know. and that's where yeah. I first met him. So he was probably the first person that was like the face of corrections <laughs> for me. This guy is like your cowboy, and he goes to these different uh, cowboy poetry readings and stuff, and he's just the most humble, down-to-earth guy. I'm pretty sure he served in Vietnam, and he's just an amazing guy. You know, of course, he didn't know me very well, but he was, <laughs> you know, he learned from us going through the academy, or that I went through the academy while he was the TAC officer, but he was trying to give up smoking. John. He was working out with the class and he had given up smoking and one of the things that he was kind of substituting was Banaka spray. 
So you would hear it all the time, you know, because you're in class and he's sitting in the back of the room and you hear. <laughs> what happened was when we did the class photo for the whole class upon graduation, you know, if you look at the class photo, I'm holding up a can of banaca. <laughs> In the and, class photo? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, years and years later, I pointed it out to Dale. I said, hey, look, look at that can of Banaka. Do you remember that? <laughs> no. And he goes, you son of a bitch. You <laughs> ruined a completely good photo. But he, he never the, noticed it. <laughs> he never noticed it. And, you know, I didn't bring it up. I wanted to see if he would catch on. But he was just such a great guy. He was an entertainer. And the way that he handled inmates, he was a, a master at de-escalation. He was also a master if you had a, a kind of an out-of-control captain, because he was a lieutenant, he would kind of like work over and work on a captain that was a little out of control. I never worked under him mm -hmm. personally, but of course I've met him and talked to him several times, but that's the way I remember him was he would be hired in those positions where you kind of have a, a captain that could go a little bonkers. Yeah. He, he was the solid rock. And he was. In the chain of command. Right. And so it's like you have this one particular captain who's out of control and is pissing off all his officers. We'll put Whitney over there. He'll smooth things over. He'll yeah. kind of be the buffer. But he yeah. also, you know, handled like, you know, higher up the chain. I don't know how Dale was able to survive a lot of the later administrations. Dale was just so level-headed. He was just so normal. And you get these ego types that get into higher-up positions. And yeah. that was not Dale. Like, Dale will talk to an inmate just like he's talking to you and I. I mean, he didn't judge people based on where they're at. He was just a humble, great personality. And I learned a lot just watching how he interacted with people. That's he's, cool. He's such a sweet guy. He's got a big heart. And I don't know if it was maybe his experience with Vietnam and the military. I never saw that guy get stressed out either. Like, I don't think I ever saw him get stressed out. Whenever I would see him, it was like when they had an IMS over it in his building and stuff. He was always making sure everybody had the equipment they needed and everything. Just yeah. really nice. Maybe that was the challenge with the whole Banaka thing is I never saw him get upset. So it was a challenge for me. Okay, let's see if I can piss this fucking cowboy off. And when we graduated from the class and we all go to lunch to hometown buffet, I don't know if your class did that, but, but we did. Dale's at the table in the restaurant at the hometown buffet and he's doing his cowboy poetry of Perkinier Perkins. And he's got everybody just so enthralled with him. And so that was a perfect opportunity for me to tell the waitress that it's actually his birthday when it wasn't. Oh, no. He's there and he's telling his story and he's got all the attention of all these pretty girls that are, you know, new officers and they like the cowboy with his uniform on. And then here comes all the waitresses all at the same time. They converge on our table and they're like, we heard that it's your birthday. We're glad you're here with us. And Dale's like, what do you know? It's not my no, stop. It's not my birth. It's not my birthday. Like, please know what, what, and then he looks across the table and he sees me laughing and he just had that look of like, I really fucking hate you. I don't, I don't like you. But he still doesn't lose his cool. No, he doesn't. I'm like, God damn, I, you know, I got 20 years to do this. I'm going to really push that guy's buttons. I'm going to find a way. And I never did. He's, he's just an amazing man. I didn't, I didn't know he did cowboy poetry. I did oh, absolutely. 
I know I saw him with his boots and he wore the Wranglers. Oh, yeah. yeah. The remember when the Wranglers were part of your uniform? They could be if you wanted. I wore Wranglers. Hell yeah. And I know Wranglers. I know Travis Nor wore Wranglers. <laughs> I'm sure you want to see them. They were very snug. Nom, 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 nom. Who's next you on your list? I got to do a show with him. I got to mention Blakesley. Okay. Blakesley, I've got that guy. He worked under me when I was a sergeant, and we worked in Olympus in mentally ill. And he was almost too smart for his own good. It's, he still is. The biggest thing that I, that I learned from him, that guy could house inmates like there was no tomorrow. He would know exactly who could live with who, who could be whose celly. Based and on personality or like STG, like strategy? Um, everything, all of the above. Ba- security based threat on Personality, group. security threat groups. To watch him... It was like the movie A Beautiful Mind. He would stand in front of that. We had count boards in the control rooms that had the pictures of all the inmates and had what cell they were in. And that guy would stand there and go, okay, look, if we did this, because we'd come in, we'd come in from the weekends, things had happened, if an incident had happened or we gained more inmates or mm-hmm. some in, inmates from intake or whatever. And that guy would... The, he'd, he'd literally be like, he'd, he'd be turning these pictures over and going, okay, if we move this guy with this guy in with this guy, that will work. And it was amazing when I saw him do that. And then I tried to learn the same way of what he's thinking and doing. And I realized, man, this guy's, he's got a beautiful mind in there. It's like, wow, I don't know how it's working, but it's working. He did um, really well with his career. Oh, yeah. He built the uh, MCERT team, the SWAT team. He built it from the ground up after uh, it had been that's a lot of messed stress. with. Yeah, it was a lot of stress for him. Guy's just amazing. Uh, when I was having parties at my house there in West Jordan, I know that him and his wife came to a lot of the parties early on. Yeah, his wife's and- a sweetheart, too. Oh, total sweetheart. I know it was Barbie Wood and his wife and somebody else. And I was pretty drunk and I got naked in my bedroom. (laughs) And I remember Barbie poking my cock and she was fascinated by it as I was trying to change. And I mean, I was just one of the girls at that point, John. But And then I remember later on at that same party, I was on my bed and Blakesley had come upstairs and come into the bedroom. And I'm like, take me now. Take me. Come on. Be a man. And he's like, what the fuck? I was really loaded, full of Sambuca. But, and he did not take me for the record. He kind of was like, I don't know what the fuck's wrong with him, but I'm out of here. So. That was a crazy party. That was really fun. But Blakesley's always been a blast. He's always had a great sense of humor. Oh, yeah. Beyond his his knowledge and um, experience with the prison and how to handle things. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Yeah. And he was he was always really good with the inmates as far as the knowledge of how to de-escalate things. Another guy that would go in, do his job, go home, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So did he do overtime? Yeah, he would do all the time okay. every now and again. Yeah. yeah, and it was more of a, to cover for his staff. Like if his okay. staff couldn't get it off and they needed to go to something, 
Blakesy for a guy that for he was very family oriented and he really cared about other people's families. That's great. Yeah, so he would work overtime just so someone could have it off. Yeah, for him. He was great when he was in scheduling. Oh yeah, again, again, great. there's that beautiful mind thing. Yep. He, it just literally like he's like Rain Man. Like, okay, we can do this, we can do that. <laughs> I don't know how the hell he thought of shit. Wow. <laughs> All right. Well, the next person I'm going to bring up is a Troy Webb, Sergeant Troy Webb, and he was working most of the time that I knew him with his the Oakers, but primarily Oker Five. And Troy was not real outspoken. He was very intense. He was a very serious guy. I mean, you could get him laughing. Just the way that he handled inmates was just always so professional. Yeah. He could handle, you know, the worst of situations. But I watched him, and he was always so professional. He never got emotional with inmates, even if they bugged him or, you know, if he would go and do searches and he found contraband, he would never talk down to inmates. It's just this is the job that he's doing. And he was just very matter of fact. I love the way that he handled the inmates. You know, he came in, he did his job and he went home. And those are the people that you really appreciate working with. You know, he doesn't play games. He doesn't escalate inmates. He doesn't start situations. He's very dependable. Yep. He loved the graveyard shift. He worked him all the time. I just went fishing with him not very long ago. Is he doing well? Oh, yeah. He's doing That's great. That's great. I love that. Yeah. I love that. He's doing he deserves really it. I'm trying to think of some of the funny because he was so low key when you would make fun of him. You're you're not sure if he's pissed or but he's laughing. He has yeah. this really weird, like, okay, yeah, he thinks that's funny. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to read him at first for sure. Yeah, but he has a great sense of humor. Another one, like we said, the the quality is there was no nonsense stuff. Right. The inmates really did like him. Yeah, they, they did. They took him very serious, but he he would help you if you were there, if you wanted to help yourself. He was always there. I've seen that with him working with inmates. You know, as we talk about the unsung heroes, it's important to remember we're talking about the people that didn't necessarily get the recognition from the department. For sure. Ones- and he was definitely one of them. Right. You know, he comes in, he does a great job. He keeps everything calm for the shift. And if he's needed in one of the other ochres, he has no hesitation to go help. He was one of the guys that if there was a building that needed that needed fixing, he was one of those sergeants that would get sent to fix that building. He's a good man. Good man. Who do you got that you want to talk about? Well, that just kind of bleeds into what I'm saying as far as a fix it. I've got to mention Powell. Powell was a fix-it captain when I was there. Mm-hmm. That guy was amazing when it came to if there was a building that needed fixing, it's in, in the sense of it's being unruly, it needs some programming, and it just needs a good start, they would move him there. And he had followers, and I was one of them. I would follow him to which buildings that, that because it was so great to work under him. He's still working for the department, right? Yep, he still is. What is his position? I believe he's warden now. Wow. Yeah. Well, he definitely earned that position. Oh, yeah. Um, How long has he worked for the department? I know it's been over 30. I'm wow. Sure. I'm sure it's been That's over crazy. 30. Man, he had a way. And I'm going to mention Busio in this, too. The, the Both of those two had a way 
I don't want to say disciplining you, but <laughs> they, they had a way I have of a story. talking to you like, like I, I got a couple of stories too, but they had a way of talking to you like disappointed father. <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, yes. God, I let him down. And Powell told me once, I was talking to him about that. And he told me once, he goes, you know who your first critic is? And I said, who? And he goes, it's you. And he goes, I, when I talk to you about something, he talked to me about a couple of things. And, and it, they, they didn't reach discipline level. But he's like, I know you're going to go home and beat yourself up doing that. So he's basically said, all I have to do is sit back and do the father figure thing. And you're going to kick your own ass, mm. which was true. Busio, as you talk about the disappointed father scenario, there was certain accusations made on me that I put a hot dog and hung it out of my fly and waved it in somebody's face, a staff member's face. <laughs> While at work? Yeah. It was Busio's uh, job to ask me about it. And he's like, I have to ask you if you had waved a hot dog in somebody's face hanging out of your fly and i told busio i said that wasn't a hot dog (laughs) (laughs) no that whole thing was (laughs) i hope he's listening to this going oh my god because that's that's not true at all um you know it, it was somebody had brought this up and he unfortunately got the shitty job of having oh, to ask me about no. at some oh, point, there's no dates there's no times are, are you kidding me wow he was told he had to do this so he had to do it i was at one time working the corridor position and that position you would move the inmates back and forth to their programming or, or to go to church or whatever and one of the jobs was to escort inmates from the infirmary if they needed to go to the hospital mm-hmm. so you would escort the inmate from the infirmary to the parking lot in the uh, the ambulance okay and it's a very routine thing you you've got to have the transfer paper you wait until the ambulance gets there to put the inmate on the gurney and you secure the inmate to that gurney with with restraints you know mm-hmm. and i'm not saying this to justify what i done but Basically, I had I got complacent is what I had done. Okay. And I went up. I had a, I got a call that there was an inmate that had to be moved to the hospital. So I get up there, and they have a gurney there. There's a gurney there, but the ambulance isn't there yet. But they have a gurney that needs to go up to the hospital. Okay. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. But the, and the inmate that's on this gurney. He's missing both his legs. He, he's, he has uh, diabetes and he's having a diabetes issue and he had had his legs removed. And so, okay, that's cool. Let's start moving the inmate. So I get to the Sally port and control one and they open the doors. And just as they're opening that door, here comes the ambulance with the gurney. And I realized right at that moment that I never handcuffed, I never restrained this inmate to the gurney that's going to be taken up to the hospital. Oh. Okay? Which is a big no-no. Sure. And, the, and the fact that the inmate's missing his legs doesn't... I was complacent. The transportation officers that were with the ambulance officers 
that were with the, the ambulance, the paramedics, they see the horror on my face. I can see the control one's horror on, on, on his face that he opened that door. And I think part of that was because I outranked him. Yeah. The two officers, transportation officers said, don't worry about it, Reed. We won't bring it up. It was basically they were covering for me. And I do not like that. I don't want anyone covering for me. It was my bad. Let's go back. We strained the inmate and everything. We did everything right. And I told everyone involved, I said, look, this was my bad. I was complacent about it. I was saying this in front of the inmate too. I said, I, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go talk to the ship commander about what I've done. And so I had to go to the ship commander, who is another one of my unsung heroes, Strong. You remember Captain Strong? Oh, yes. Absolutely unsung hero. Yes. He had the same reaction you did. He was like, oh, no. Well, let's go talk to the deputy warden. That deputy warden was Busio. I got in the office. I think he was impressed that I ratted myself out about the whole ordeal. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's cool. I had done wrong. And oh, man, I didn't get disciplined. But holy crap, I got that fatherly talk of uh, I've known you for a long time. I've never known you to break rules and regulations. And ah, man, it was terrible. You know, it's amazing that you have people that they know you well enough. They know that this is out of character for you. And then you have those other supervisors like, oh, okay, well, Uh, we're going to have to put it on paper. Yeah. I feel so bad doing this. Yeah. But my hands are tied. They had to write that down that I got a warning. You know what I mean? But it could have been, ultimately, it could have been real bad for me. Sure. You can lose your job over something like that. Yeah. There's no justification to the fact the the inmate didn't have limbs to be able to run away. I would have actually watched because that would have kind of been entertaining to see them try (laughs) to escape. But, you know, the seventh time that they caught me having sex with a male inmate, I got that same fatherly talk of disappointment. But it was at that point I knew I need to stop doing this. I survive working with you on graveyard. I don't know. Survive that. But John, it was it was just the tip. I mean, I you know that's probably why they let me go. God. The next person on my list, and I know this particular person is an acquired taste. If you really got to know him. He was seriously an amazing guy. And this would be Charles Harlow, Sergeant Harlow. I remember Harlow. Yeah. yeah and I know like he got on a lot of people's nerves. It's this just a, uh, you went a five, right? He was all over the place. For a long time, he was in Ochre Five. He was my sergeant. There was times that we disagreed. Okay. And there was times that we argued. And it got heated because we didn't agree on certain things. He also taught me that inmates are human beings and he reminded me that we're not there to judge them and he treated inmates with dignity and respect the way that everybody should when you work in a facility he was very fair and he would take time to listen to an inmate he wouldn't be compromised he was never like that at all he would never bring in anything for an inmate he just wouldn't do that but he would give them as much time as they needed if they wanted to talk he was very fair 
he tried to look at the picture from outside the box. He wasn't a correctional officer. I'm right. You're wrong. And there was times yeah. where he was wrong and he would come in the next day and he would admit it. He was just a very humble personality. And like he I was, said, there was, he was another one. I, I remember very well, but I never really worked with him. He was always in a different building than what I was. When I went to, I was on graveyard. So for probably the first nine years of my career, he had a real distinct voice and he was a character. And I think that if he was here, I would hope that he would laugh because like he had those big, thick glasses. Yeah. yeah he had, you know, like, glasses. I don't know if, I don't know if those fuckers would give him x-ray vision or if he could see into the future with them, but he would take them off. He would take them off and literally his eyes would disappear. He'd have two teeny little dots. He had a little bit. He had little eyes, little teeny eyes. I but he would also I, talk. He would talk like this. I need to go out and do some UAs. And he would come back and he would collect UAs, collect, you know, the urine from the inmates and then come back and then he would not take off the gloves and he would start, you know, keying in the information on the oh, keyboard. No, no. But you know, it, it's, oh, no. and it's like, hey man, that's definitely your computer tonight. But, oh, no. And I would razz him and he would razz me. And it was just a lot of fun. I mean, Harlow, even though he was older and he worked with the Revelo and I, he just was a fun personality. One Christmas, we were working Christmas Eve and there's a song that Dr. Demento used to play. And it's a spoof of uh, Winter Wonderland, the song Walking in a Winter Wonderland. Uh -huh. And it's a spoof and it's uh, walking around in women's underwear. Oh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah. yeah. And we yeah. played it over the PA system throughout <laughs> the whole Ochre 5 Annex. And then we went and did Count. Like that was, we played that song and we went through to do Count. All but about three inmates, all were laughing. Even though maybe that was inappropriate, we treated them like human beings. Yeah. You're never going to make everybody happy. Most of the guys were laughing at that song parody. They thought it was yeah. funny. And it's out of the ordinary for them, too. So they, they enjoyed yeah. it. I saw, I saw Harlow about 10 years after he had retired. Okay. And, and he looked great. I was like, holy cow. Like, I, but at the same time, I was worried. I was like, God, is that what I'm going to look like? But after he retired, the dude looked wonderful. He well, he had like given up life smoking. again. I remember that. I remember he yeah. was giving up the smoking. You know, the inmates also saw that the guy really had a, he had a huge heart. He was in it for the right reasons. He was in there because he wanted a career and he wanted health insurance. And he yeah. at some point wanted to retire to be with his wife and have time. Yeah, he you know, talked his, very highly of his wife. I remember that too. Oh, yeah. 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 Another family man quality absolutely he's he's a great guy i hope he's well i i don't know where he's at or what's going on but i hope he's well yeah so do i do you got somebody else to I've, share got, with us? I've, been, I've got mostly honorable mentions i gotta mention i gotta mention uh habibia habibia and millwork because they they worked under me my last tenor of the department of corrections just top-notch people i don't know if you remember christensen from uh, investigations Oh yes, yes. He was a great guy to work for. He he ended up passing away not that sucks. very long after he had retired. I had told you, John, I didn't know him very well. I had he probably handled some things that I had written up that I was the initial officer on that he had come down to to investigate 
nice enough guy, and I know I saw him like it in service, but I didn't know him very well. He was a great guy. When I went to investigations, he kind of took me under his wing and taught me a lot about the investigation side of corrections and stuff like that. And, and they wanted something completely different in the way that they held their records and um, reporting and stuff like that. And I was mm. I got to be part of that. Yeah, it was just it just really great. Like I mentioned, Habibia, just, it's the firm but fair qualities in these people. Yeah. Habibia is uh, like more firm and firmer when it came to talking to some of the inmates. <laughs> yeah, uh, she was pretty hardcore. She was um, she was balls to the wall. She she did not play at all Yep. when I worked with her. Yep. And that's good. I mean, you need to have that personality. She wasn't mean. She didn't cross the line. She was just very stern. Oh, yeah. And I, th- and, yeah, and and I she, think she drew the line. You knew where that line was. You knew exactly right where that line was. I also think, though, that, you know, when you're when you're a female in a male unit, you better draw that line. And I think that's one of the reasons that she had such a strong personality. But it's just great to watch some of them that come in after you would come in. And you can tell within the first few months that this person's going to this person's going to work out and do really good. And Habibi was one of those. And Millward was one of those to me just to see them thrive in that kind of career it's great to see habibia that strong personality type she goes in and she established boundaries right away and then you have the female officer that goes into the section she comes out she belches and it smells like inmate semen (laughs) then you know you might have a problem you might have a problem (laughs) you might 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 it's like, boy, the inmates are always smiling whenever that particular person goes into the section. Can I bring up my next person? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got to mention Captain Bradbury. I remember Bradbury, yeah. Yeah, Bradbury, uh, God, I just loved, he always was laughing. One thing I always connected with him is he always had a great sense of humor. He was always easygoing. He'd come into the office and he just had a smile on his face. He was just such a wonderful guy. He was always professional with the inmates. Talk about a father figure. Bradbury was just such a great guy. Now, I did make him angry when I promoted to sergeant. I'll just tell you the story. Yeah, you know who it is. So what happened was, is that um, I was a CHS at Olympus. And so I tested and made sergeant, but that's a lateral transfer. There's no pay increase. So as a CHS, I'm on a 12-hour shift. Now I go and I make sergeant, and they told me, it's like, okay, you're going to be on a swing shift, and you're going to be working in the Oakers. Oh, yeah. And I lived up in Davis County. And it's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It's the same pay. Now I'm going to have to drive there 10 times in a pay period rather than seven. Yes, I I remember this. I'm not going to get the extra four hours. So I had told them on the phone, I said, well, you know, I politely decline the sergeant position. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I didn't know was, is that Bradbury, he had said he wanted me to come work for him in the Oakers. They didn't explain why I turned it down, but that I had turned it down. Then they offered me, they said, well, what if we give you a graveyard and temp uh, so you can keep the 12s? And I said, okay, I'll take it. 
and Bradbury was very irritated with me about oh. it. And, and so for like a year, he gave me the cold shoulder, and I finally, uh, I finally talked to him. They never told him why. They just said he turned it down. He doesn't want to work for it, you. So he, so he walked around for a year thinking that you, you didn't like him. <laughs> you know, and Bradbury was was the one that when I got caught looking at porn in Ochre Five, he was he, the captain. He, he, yeah, he's I, the one that that dealed with that. That's right. Yeah, he, I remember that too. I wonder what he thought because the guy that I had printed out had the biggest dick you've ever seen. <laughs> it was seriously that thing was like three feet I don't, long. I don't think he took it and framed it and put it in his office. I I wonder if he saw it because there was never a discussion. I was not out of the closet back then, but there was never any discussion of the fact that, well, that's kind of weird. This is this is I, a guy. I, I, think they <laughs> it was, I think they might have thought you were out of the closet by then, maybe. <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't come out. Well, I mean, I, I never guess asked I, you. Did they? Did they let you keep those pictures? The secretary whose printer it was on wouldn't give the picture up. <laughs> I she brought it home and made her husband hold it while you know he nailed I her. No, I, but I, well, I'm so confused about is why in the hell would you you could do that at work? Listen, I didn't have the internet was new. We're talking a long time ago, John, and so criminals aren't smart, and so criminal thinking. I got on the internet. And I'm like, oh, this is jackoff material. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna print this out. And I'm like, God, where's the color printer at? Because this would look a lot better <laughs> with all those flesh tones. I print this out and it went to the wrong printer. And I'm like, God, where the hell, where'd that picture go? That's weird. I never connected the dots because I was yeah, not computer savvy. Because it was all new, right? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. that and, printed off on some secretary's office. Yeah. <laughs> and so the fact that the dick was so big, it was a whole new territory for her. <laughs> my god they come in those sizes right at the top <laughs> that was crazy right at the top it has your name and your email address <laughs> printed it right out. right 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 <laughs> yeah well well and they had printed out like every website that i'd ever been on oh geez yeah they had that and yeah. it was uh it, but anyways bradbury was was my supervisor in the annex when that took place and he handled it like a champ. As far as like you're talking about discipline and doing things inappropriate, and he he was very very professional about it, and did not make me feel uncomfortable. And he, he handled That's it really cool. well. I mean, yeah. I, he probably realized I was completely humiliated, and cool. he was probably looking at that picture, going, "Fuck, this guy's a size queen. <laughs> Look at the size of that dick." Anyways, I so love Captain Bradbury. He's a hero. To your original story. The, the original example of Bradbury, what did he say after you explained to him, hey, I didn't have a chance to take that position because I didn't want to be driving out there all the time? Oh, he immediately said, well, they never told me that. Man. I won't name the deputy warden that I was on the phone call with that called me to tell me that I'd been promoted. Yeah. You know, again, once you get to that level, it's like, wouldn't you at least explain it? It's like they don't care. They just don't care. Yeah. It's like it's not important. They're just whatever. Do you have another person that you'd like to name? Are we going to mention the, um, our fallen? Are we going to mention Steven Anderson? You just did. Yeah. He was just a wonderful man. The guy was just an incredible officer. And Fred House. Yes, Fred House, uh, Steve Anderson. And here's the thing is like when we talk about unsung heroes, I think that 
they don't get enough recognition, but clearly the Fred House Academy was named after Fred House. Yeah. But he gave the ultimate sacrifice that everybody fears in this <laughs> field, and he he gave his life. It devastated his family, and I can't imagine what both Steve Anderson and House's families went through when they get that notification that somebody in law enforcement has given the ultimate sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. House was way before my time. We do know his nephew. Adam. Adam. Yes, Adam. Another unsung hero, for sure. Adam. <laughs> you know, I, I only laugh because Adam is such a character and such a personality. And when you know Adam, it's like you got to start laughing when you get together. Because One of the most, oh yeah, one of the most outgoing people. He's my supervisor where I work now. So he was my supervisor, one of my supervisors when I first fished in. In my retirement job, he's my supervisor. Back to Steve Anderson. I had met Steve Anderson. Of course, he would do transports. So mm -hmm. you'd see him in the early morning picking up inmates or in the later afternoon dropping off inmates, whether it be a court run, a medical run, whatever it was that the inmate had to attend to. But he was always such a humble, kind of quiet person. Same thing. I would see him in the mornings when he'd come pick up my inmates for transportation. But he always stopped to take the time to talk to me. Just a genuine, great guy. Hard-working dude. And very um, respected by the inmates. Yeah, the inmates were just as shocked and upset about that whole situation. They hated the individual that took Anderson's life. They did, yeah. Just yep. because uh, Anderson was such a nice person. He treated him with dignity, honor, and respect. He was just a, just a good guy. I've got uh, two more people that I need to bring up. Oh, let's hear them. Let's hear them. Okay. So, uh, Cherie Scott over oh, in Tampa, yeah. she had such a passion about the job. She was firm but fair, but she would not let them get away with shit. <laughs> nope. And <laughs> she had no problem doing paperwork on everything. She documented the shit out of everything. When you have a unit and you want a strong supervisor, Cherie Scott was absolutely amazing. Now, you'll go over there and you'll tell her about something that an inmate did in your building. She would immediately get triggered. Like, well, did you do this? Did you handle it this way? Did you do this? And then even if I was fucking with her, which usually I was, just to get her going. And then she'd look at me. You're a real asshole. <laughs> and but she was so much fun when you got to know her but when you first get to meet her she's very intense but she was such a great sergeant she is very she is very intense i cannot i still i can't remember i have to i'd have to talk to her about this but i can't remember how the rumor got started but the rumor got started that she was my mother-in-law really she, yes and i remember an inmate asking me about it and I just went with it. The, the, <laughs> she was my mother-in-law. And so for years when I worked over a temp, that she was my mother-in-law. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they would be like, well, it makes sense because of how they manage the units, you know? Yeah. We managed very similar, but I wasn't as intense as she is, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Cherie, she dedicated a very long career to corrections. Bless her heart. She's an amazing person. Intense supervisor. Would not let inmates get away with shit. Would go hands-on if needed. She would not hesitate. Just an awesome officer. Yes. Awesome sergeant. 
Uh, yes, for sure. And her husband too, who's a great guy. Yeah, oh yeah. I, I worked with him in, in Max. Yeah, with working corrections, sometimes it's a family affair, and that's definitely the case with the Scots. Yeah, and they had great sense of humor. When it when shit hit the fan, they knew what to do and how to take action. And man, they're great people. Uh, the last person I'm going to talk about is the person I've already mentioned earlier, but that would be Eros Arevalo that worked with Harlow and I. Arevalo and I carpooled for a while. And again, he's one of those guys that comes into the field for the right reasons. And I know that you know there's a lot of personalities that come in and they start working corrections. And, you know, it doesn't take long for personalities like you and I, John, to say, you know, this this probably isn't the career for you. They're a little badge heavy. Yeah. They're too much yeah. into the discipline. They don't understand what our position is about. We're not here to punish them. We're not here to beat their ass. We're not yep. here to terrorize these people. The court has sentenced them here. We keep them out of trouble. They were the Percy's mm -hmm. of corrections. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you've you ever watched a great mile. Absolutely. Yep. They were the ones that would, if they had a billy club, they'd smack their fingers off of the bars. Exactly. <laughs> and Eros Arevalo is one of those, just mm -hmm. those humble personalities that comes in. Again, if you get to know him, He's just such a sweet guy. He comes in, he does the job, he does everything that needs to be done. And it was so much fun working with him. I have so many fond memories where we would laugh, but he would never talk down to an inmate. He would handle situations. You yeah. know, he's retired now as well. He's moved on to bigger and better things. And he's another one that I would have liked to have had sex with besides Travis Knorr. <laughs> you thought but, really? Oh, you know, well, wow. because, you know, he's, Jeez. I think that everybody that I met in corrections, I, I look at him and I say, you know, could I have sex with, you know, with him or her? <laughs> you know, that's kind of where I gauge things. You know, in a Revelo, you know that I'm not into white guys. I think that the gay Florida man is not into white guys. And, you know, Eros uh, Arevalo is, I think that his, his background, he's um, Peruvian, I think. And so that's right up my alley. You know, I heard that. And I'm like, oh, I, you know, right now somewhere he is listening to this going, what the fetch? <laughs> <laughs> so I have to throw this in to get him to squirm. But uh, I got to see him the last time I was in Utah. And it was really, really great because we have so many memories together and we laughed a lot. We got to a chance to sit down at Black Bear Diner and laugh about the memories he has a lot of the, the pictures and reports and stuff of the different memories that i had forgotten about he's just there's such so an amazing many. there's so many people yeah there's so many. <laughs> you know who we forgot who's that the hazes jan and rich we have oh, to we have to include it. them but you know <laughs> again it's hard to put the names down because there's so many unsung heroes that we're not even singing about you're gonna need a couple of different podcast for it yeah rich would have me scared jan all the fucking time he'd love to see her get scared and i would hide in the back of the shift commander's car and he'd say hey i'm gonna come pick you up you know meet me out front and we'd go over and hey, hey chief i'm coming to pick you up i'm coming to pick you up let's scare the fuck out of jan so i would hide in the back seat and he'd be driving along and we'd go across to the uh to the 7-eleven Jan was comfortable, and then I'd jump into the front seat, and, and she would freeze in place. I wanted to scare her before she had a hot cup of coffee. 
of course, Jan retired first, but she was just a total. Sweet. Oh, she was so sweet. I could never scare her. She was so sweet. <laughs> yeah, she was wonderful. And then, you know, Rich, I scared a lot too. He was a lot. Yeah. Yep. Is, is Rich retired? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. He's retired. I didn't give him a call. That completes my list. I don't know about you. Anybody else that we need to talk I about? I hope I didn't forget anybody. I'm sure I did. Oh, we did. I mean, sure if you, yeah, there's sure so I, many people. I'm sure I did. It's no. very there subjective. There's yeah. so many people that worked at the prison that I had very little contact with that were wonderful people, very professional, yeah. did the job, but I just never worked with them. And now I'm doing this podcast. Every one of the people that went out there and did a career are unsung heroes. We're just talking about the ones that you and I got to know and we got to see how they were. Yeah, and that we learned from. So for all of you that work in the Department of Corrections, you are the unsung heroes. And I know you'll never get the recognition you deserve in a career that is very honorable. And yeah. I hope it offers you challenge. But I also hope that you get out and you are able to retire and talk about the place in a way that is positive as you talk to your family. Yeah. And I hope you make a difference on the offenders' lives and get them back into society. In, in and a, I'll add thank you so much for your service. For, you guys are still doing it. I got to tell you, from the standpoint that I'm at, it's worth it. Hang in there. Keep doing a great job. Have other things outside of corrections. I always had the fishing and guitar playing and that I paint. Have things like that to do. If you're listening, please keep your sanity while you're still working hard. I have many late nights with a jar of Vaseline <laughs> and pictures of Travis Knorr. That's my hobby. You got to call him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up, John, if, unless there's anything else that you needed to talk about. Nah, man. Thanks for having me back. I, it was a lot of fun, and um, I look forward to the next time you come back on, and we can talk about some other aspects of corrections. Absolutely. I'll be there for you, Mark. All right. So I'm going to close this session by saying the same thing I tell you every week, and that is to be good, and if you can't be good, be good at it. And if you're sitting in prison, you're probably not good at it. Good night, everybody. <laughs>